Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Well, the last time we were graced by his presence, I tried to convince him not to give up on the Mets season. That there is still hope. That they would get it turned around. How'd and, that go, Sal? And I was... <laughs> I was completely wrong once again. Uh, we welcome in Ken Dashow. You know him, Q104.3, DJ over there, and huge Mets fan. I was wrong. I apologize. Now, good thing you didn't listen to me, and I hope that the majority of people, although while listening, didn't really listen to me. It's been a disaster, Ken. I mean, it's been bad. Uh, you know, after the if they didn't have that 11-1 start, it wouldn't feel as horrible. You feel like, well, this is going to be a year of rebuilding and figuring out what we have. But after that start, after the moves they made, after getting Swarzak to, to balance the bullpen, mm-hmm. you think, okay, we always have injuries. But even with injuries, with Cespedes not hitting, with Bruce not hitting, we're still winning games. You know, and and then it falls apart so quickly and so badly. I don't think any other team in baseball has gone from eleven and one to five and twenty without losing half the team falling into a gorge or something. And that's what's happened to the Mets. It's in free fall. There's no reason to assume the second half is going to be much better. I think they were the fastest team in Major League Baseball history to go from 10 over to 10 under. I mean, that that is just... And you're right, that excitement almost made it worse. It was probably the worst thing that could happen to the team, to the fans, and certainly to Mickey Calloway, who has struggled here. But you get out to that you know 11-1, 12-2 start, 10 games over, feeling good. Wow, maybe they can be a legit team. And then it just the roof caves in. Uh, what do you think of Callaway so far? You know, the last time when I was on here, uh, I felt that, you know, Mickey, remember I said I believed in Mickey Callaway? I yeah. thought, you know, he can pitch. You know, pitching coach, I have right. faith in him. I've lost it. Yeah. I, I, truly, I, think he's, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good pitching coach. But at this point in his career for this team, honestly, I, I feel like he's way over his head. I can consistently see weird moves. He makes some great moves. It's not all terrible. He makes some smart moves. But is a perfect example. That last game before the break with Oswald pitching. Yeah. I sat down. I said, let me just sit down and watch a whole game right before the break. Did your first mistake. You know, but Oswald's pitching. <laughs> this was the pitcher of the year in minor leagues. Mm-hmm. And he's pitching the best game he could ever pitch. He He's not a fastball pitcher. You know, he's not a 100-mile-an-hour guy. But he's hitting his spots. And a guy could move the ball, hit his spots, is going to win. And Washington's on their heels a bit. And at 59 pitches, and he's owning the Nats. Mickey takes him out of a close game for a pinch hitter with guys on base. And the pinch hitter is Dominic Smith. Uh. So I ask, what are we accomplishing by taking out a pitcher who's doing great? Even if we lose the game, don't you want to see, give this guy confidence. Let Maybe he pitches nine today and he goes into the break going, I just pitched nine innings against the Nets. Well, maybe. And I didn't have a big problem with this move, but I know some callers yesterday talked about it. Maybe he's thinking, you know what, let's get him some confidence. Get him the heck out of there. We didn't expect this success through five innings, regardless of the pitch count. You know you know how fragile maybe these young guys are and you know the expectations for him. It's not like he's been billed as Syndergaard or DeGrom or whatever. And you get five solid innings out of him. To me, I didn't have a big issue with Callaway trying to preemptively get him out on a good note as opposed to leaving him in for the 6th or 7th and then getting beat up a little bit. No, I, I disagree. I want to see, let him, let prove to him how well he's done. Now, when you take him out, in his mindset, he says, his mindset would be, they didn't have confidence in me to pitch more. And again, as every ball player I've ever met said, it's really not all pitch count. It's about how you're throwing that day. Some days, 50 pitches feel like you're pushing a truck uphill, and some days, 120 feel like you could go 140. He was throwing easy. He was throwing smart. He wasn't laboring. He wasn't taking deep breaths. 
let this guy pitch seven or eight, and then he'll feel great about himself because there's nothing to lose. You know, here's the thing, Sal. You know you don't want to go to the bullpen, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're Mickey Calloway, you want to do everything you can. If you have to put in one guy like Lugo or Gazelman, that would be it. But you never want to go to the bullpen in the six because you know there's no one to count on, right? No. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. The last thing you want to do is go to the bullpen, and he went there early. I get that. Um, this sounds like they're going to bring him back to at least start 2019, regardless of who the new GM is. You think that's the right move? Would you look to make a change? I think you bring in the new GM, and he gets to choose. He gets to look it over. And, you know, it works in radio. In any business, the new manager gets to choose the employee, the new guy who, who runs the team. At this point, here's, here's the other biggest thing. Why can't he fix Jerry Blevins? How come Ron Darling on TV can show me in slow motion? See, Jerry's getting on side of that curveball. That's why it's not dropping down. He's got to get on top of it to get the bite he usually has. If Ronnie Darling can see that in the booth, how come he can't fix Jerry Blevins? One of the biggest holes, outside of the fact that Swarzak, who was brought in to be that innings eater, mm. is awful, is not what he was. Okay, maybe he fooled you. He doesn't have it. But why can't Blevins pitch him? Why can't you fix it if he's not hurt? Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, sometimes it, to me it's just about the player, but if Darling is pointing something out, I, I would hope that Callaway and Island have seen the same thing. Uh, I know you're working. We just had Wally Backman on a little while ago, and I, I've always loved Wally. I love Wally. Yeah, I think he's going to be a great man. I think he is a great manager, but if given a second opportunity, I think he'd really be a great big league manager. But we were just talking about this during the break with Jeff. Um, that style of manager is kind of obsolete in today's game. Old school guy, going to get on players, not going to really be... And not that he's not going to work together with the front office, but may have different philosophies, and now the front office wants to control these managers. Would you think Backman be a good manager, especially for this ball club? Yeah, because I don't think it's a, a catch-all kind of phrase. There's an old school manager like Girardi, mm-hmm. who was fired from the Yankees after a great winning season, fired for the Marlins, and I really like Joe, and Joe knows baseball cold, but he is that old school manager where, you know, a rookie is to be seen and not heard. You don't talk much. You keep it close to the vest. He is old school, old school. Wally might be old school and being rough and tumble, but you, every kid in the minor league goes to bat and loves him right. because he's aggressive. He's fun. He keeps the practices fun. Wally's a great manager for kids because he relates to them with his energy. He brings a lot of positive energy, a lot of energy, good and negative, and yells at people for not hustling. Right. And I think Wally's the kind of guy who gets on people for dumb mistakes. And I don't see that happening. Let me give you a case in point sure. in the Oswald game. Oswald gets up to lead off the inning. He strikes out on three pitches. Nimmo gets up, swings at the first pitch, two outs. Cabrera gets up, swings at the first pitch, three outs. If it wasn't for the TV timeout, it would have been like Little League, where you go back to the dugout, put your bat in it, grab your glove, and go out to the mound. We learned that when we were nine. If the pitcher gets up, you got to take a few pitches, you clean the dirt out of your cleats, you get something in your eye. That is the most basic rules of baseball, and I'm seeing guys at the major league level you know, swing at two pitches, get out when the pitcher had been up in that inning. Little things about baseball that you and I know from Little League, they're not executing, and I don't see it being corrected. And honestly, that's not the only example we could come up with with the Mets making Little League moves this year at the Major League level. I mean, you're watching them at the Major League level, but they're not they're guys who don't belong. I mean, they're just simply not ready. Overall, who would you put most of the blame on for the disastrous 2018 season? 
Uh, it's everybody. You know, it's it's Sandy. It's management. It is a, a dugout management. I, I think it goes up and down the line. You don't point at one guy and say it's his moves. Um, why is Jose Reyes still taking at bats from, uh, from anybody? Know. Now, obviously, somebody is saying we want Reyes to play. People say he's close with Jeff Wilpon. I don't know. You don't know. Right. Only people inside. But somebody is saying Jeff Wilpon should play. That question, uh, where will Dom's, Dominic Smith develop better here in the minor leagues? Well, what do you think? He's had one hit. He can't see, judge a curveball or fastball. Do you look, does it look like he's developing here? The no brainer moves that are, just aren't being made. You know, try any other rookie is what I'm saying. When you, when you bring up Chris Flexen and send him back down, Bring up anyone else. Take a shot on someone else. That's what I want to see. So the big question now as we go to the break in the trade, what do you think, Sal? Do you trade our, all this great starting pitching staff to get 10, 15 hot new rookies, or do you hold on? Yeah, well, I'll explain that after the break, and I'm going to get your take on that, too. We'll get into DeGrom. We'll get into what the Mets should do here moving forward with the trade deadline. Also, your calls. Take calls with Ken Dashiell, Q104.3, uh, Rock DJ, historic Rock DJ, and huge Mets fan. Uh, I guess that's the downside, huge Mets fan. But it, <laughs> It's it's a lifer. Like Eric Bloom, the guitarist from Blue Oyster Cult, right. we were going to a game his wife's said, I don't think they're doing very well. And Eric tried to explain, you don't go see the Mets because they're doing well. You see the Mets because you're a Mets fan. That's how it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is how it is. So your calls with me and Ken ahead. Well, again, we'll get into the DeGrom and all that stuff. If you call in and get on the air, you get a free Mets t-shirt courtesy of WOR. They're doing a nice job because they feel for you, Mets fans. They know how painful. We know how painful it has been. Uh, and also a pair of Mets tickets to give away before we say goodbye at 9 o'clock tonight. Salicata in for Pete McCarthy in the Sports Zone. The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete, here's Sal Licata. We're in studio with Ken Dashow, Q104.3, huge Mets fan. We'll take your calls, 800-321-0710 if you'd like. Uh, we teased it during the break. Well, before we get to the sports stuff, and we'll get to DeGrom in a minute, let me ask you a rock question. Bruce or Billy Joel? Yes. Yeah, no, come on, you got to give me one. Now, I know no. you're probably friends with both and you know yeah. them, but if you had to pick one, you're on an island, you have one album to listen to or one artist to listen to out of their whole library, can you give me one? No, honestly, it depends on the day. I love Bruce. I love Billy Joel. I love the Stones. I love the Beatles. I love Pink Floyd. I love the Who. I mean, they're all part of the mix for me. It depends on what I feel like in any given day. To me, I don't see it as, as one or the other. It's both. I guess I bring that question up because I'm from Long Island, so I... So you're a Billy guy. I, well, I'm partial to Billy Joel, but also, I guess, you know, my father played Billy Joel. I grew up listening to that. Not so much Bruce. Maybe a couple of select songs here or there, but I'm not a Bruce nut. Like, I mean, there are these people out there are just obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. I can really... I mean, to me, his biggest hit is Santa Claus is Coming to Town or whatever the uh, Christmas song well, is. Let's just say you've missed the bus on this one, <laughs> Sal. You've missed it. The, I, yeah, I don't get Bruce. The but guys, if you grew up listening to NEWFM, he wrote from the heart. He wrote this poetry, bared his soul in every song, and there's real poetry to it. Billy is the much more professional, accomplished songwriter. He is more the Tin Pan Alley guy who can write songs, who knows how to structure songs. Bruce was more Dylan-esque in writing sort of beat poetry when you listen to For You and so, growing up, things like that. It's much more of a Dylan-esque kind of poetry, and Billy is much more Paul McCartney kind of professional, polished songwriter. And both, the magic for both is they can turn any place. The reason Billy Joel keeps going at the Garden mm. 
is it's just his living room that 20,000 people are in. They both relate to the audience on a one-to-one level. That's the magic they both have. Are they both kind of blue-collar guys? Oh, yeah, Because I absolutely. get that from Billy, but I from afar, I don't get it from Bruce. Now, I admit, I don't listen to all of his stuff. Oh, yeah. He's Everything like is too. about the working man. Everything is about growing up. Everything is about my hometown, the factory closing. These The foreman said these jobs are going, boys, and they ain't coming back. Policemen, you know, uh, it's a blue-collar guy, and you say, well, he's very rich now. Yeah, yeah well, they right. both are. But you still grew up with that, and you still have that in your mind and your heart. Just a recent article with Billy saying, I just wanted to make a living doing this. And I'm just, I can't believe I've made a really good living, having lost my fortune twice, and I can still survive it. Now, there is a big difference between the two. And again, you're the expert on this, and that's why I'm asking. I don't really know uh, from surface stuff or from afar. Billy hasn't released a new record in a long time, right? And right. Bru- and Bruce does continually release new albums, right? right? Absolutely. Billy said, when he first started this run at the Garden, he said, without a new album, there's, you know, I'll do one show, I'll do two. We'll do about six of these, and then the audience will get bored, and we'll be done with it. Certainly, it's not going to last a year. <laughs> Those it's are been exact how many words. Years, yeah. And Mark Rivera, who's my dear friend, Mark plays sax with Billy Joel, and he co-hosts Breakfast with the Beatles with me. And Mark said to him, can I tell you something? We're going to do this for as many nights as you want. Once a month, we can do it for the rest of your life. And Billy said, we will do this six if we're lucky ten times. And here we are <laughs> heading towards year five. And every time, it, this tickets sell faster now than they did when you he first started. You it can't is, get them. It's ridiculous. I'm trying to take my family. You cannot get those tickets. I don't understand it. You would think years later, at some point, that it would kind of peter off a little bit and you'd be able to get it's in. It's a magic night. It really is. And Billy, one night when I saw him at the Garden, and he said, just before Piano Man, you guys having a good time? And the place went nuts. He goes, no, no, not that rock star BS. Just... Is this fun? He goes, how many people have been here before? And of 20,000 people, 18,000 went, ah. And he said, you know, it's basically the same show, right? I change a few. He goes, you want to hear all these songs again? Ah. And he looked at Rivera, and Rivera looked at him and smiled and went into Piano Man. And afterwards, Billy said, you know, I wouldn't go see me 50 times. And, you know, that's the thing. I said, but it's a night. It's a date night. You bring your friends mm. out of town. You bring your kids. Everybody, hey, this time I'm bringing my kids. Hey, my brother's up from Atlanta. I'm going to bring them. It's an event that you can plan for and have dinner and build your night around it. Let me it's ask wonderful. you. Let me ask you this way. You've seen both probably multiple times. Who, who would you rather see in person? Again, I want to see both. There's an impossible. You come on, you can't give me one yes. answer? No, because they're both. If I had a chance to see Bruce on Broadway and Billy at the Garden, I want to go see both. And it's, you, it's But you can't see both, Ken. You can't be in two places at once. Well, you can you only mean see on one. on the same night? Yeah, same well, night. Okay, last, so, last show. Earth okay. is going away tomorrow. All right, well, this is easy because I've seen Billy at the Garden a bunch of times and I haven't seen Bruce on Broadway, so I'd go see Bruce on Broadway. <laughs> Just because you haven't seen right. it. But if I saw Bruce on Broadway three times, then I'd go see Billy. So what is Bruce... Now, I know Bruce has played Matt life and it's a huge deal right. and all that. I guess that would be the equivalent to Billy playing MSG. What is Bruce on Broadway? You were telling me a little bit about this. It's a so new show? He is he has reinvented like his book, his autobiography. He is stripped down doing talk which and is, music. Which is fairly new, right? His autobiography? A couple was, of years ago? Yeah. Okay. And he's telling certain stories from his life 
and illustrating them with his music. And he's doing one of the greatest one-man shows anybody has ever seen. Because now it's way past Bruce fans. Now it's just people who are into theater who love one-man shows going, a guy bearing his soul on stage explaining about his dad, his mom, his friends, how he didn't think he was going to make it, a guy who was so insecure, who had thoughts of suicide, who was trying to get through this horrible, you know, even though it wasn't a horrible environment, knowing there had to be something better and building it himself from scratch and how he did this. Now, uh, I'm learning, obviously, about Bruce here. He seems that he's more open than Billy Joel. I know Billy Joel's some of his stuff documented. I mean, you could learn about it, but it doesn't seem like it comes from him. Even the book that was recently written about him, maybe a couple years ago, was not an autobiography, right? right. He didn't want to partake in that. Right. So is there something to that, that Billy's a little more reserved than Bruce? Yeah, I think Billy's mindset is, I'll give you my public personality and if i know you and if we're friends and if i'm at the bagel store i'll talk with anybody i'll i'll walk around he doesn't have a phalanx of security guards neither does bruce but he has no interest in sharing his mindset is look my life's an open book i was drinking here's what it was like i'm not drinking now it's good i don't have to write a book about it but here we go let's play some music i think even more that's why i like billy joel better than, <laughs> uh, than bruce i love that attitude uh and i have by the way for the record i've seen billy a couple of times at you know what? I saw him maybe once or twice at MSG and once at Barclays on New Year's Eve, which is great. Um, I, I Again, I have not seen Bruce. And it was a fantastic show, and I'm going to try to go again and take my family. But it's remarkable how you look. I mean, months out, years later, they are still an impossible ticket to you get. You can't get a ticket for Billy at the Garden. You can't get a ticket for Bruce on Broadway. These are two. When you talk about this level. Now, why haven't you seen it yet? Bruce on Broadway. Uh, I have not been able to get a ticket. I mean, we but talk- you can dash out. You got to be able to get a ticket. Come on, you. I'm assuming you've interviewed him multiple times over the years. Well, no? you, well, you see, if anybody's listening from the organization, Sal says I should get a ticket, yeah, I which I'll should. pay for. But <laughs> yes, but no, it's just it's how it goes. You're talking about the best of the best. When you say, why does it cost so much to see the Stones or Paul McCartney or Bruce or Billy? Because you're seeing the best of the one percent of the best. That's you two, Billy, Bruce, Stones. You know, Paul McCartney, it's the best there is of anything. You're watching the all-star team play. You get to pay to see the most. When people say, I used to see Bruce for $6 in Central Park. Yeah, right. You used to. And gas costs 68 cents a gallon. But it's different now. Go see a band for $12 You know, at your local bar, and maybe they'll become Bruce Springsteen. But you saw them for $6 before Born to Run. Don't forget that. Yeah, it's uh, now it's ridiculous. 800-321-0710. The number call. We're in studio with Ken Dashow, Q104.3. All right, let's get back to baseball. Right, Mets pitching. Yeah, you, exactly. You talked about it before the break. What would I do? First, let's hear what would you do with Jacob deGrom. In particular, you saw all the news yesterday. Today, yep. His agent leaking, he wants to either be extended or traded. How would you handle the Grom situation? I, I think it's absolutely right. Should they trade the Grom and should the Grom Syndergaard and Wheeler? You know what? At this point, if I'm the Mets, I don't do anything. I just sit and wait for the phone to ring. And if somebody offered me five blue chip prospects and the hot rookie, you know, for for one of my star pitchers. You have to really think about it. But here's an interesting point. Uh, it's a group I'm, I'm part of on Facebook, the DMF boys. It's, it's a it's a group of disgruntled Met fans. Oh, man. And, oh, there's some lines that we have. Hi, shout out to DMF. Right. As somebody pointed out, if we had a bullpen that saved games, if we, if we could have won 10 games where we had the lead going into the bullpen, right now, 10 more games, we'd be three and a half games out of first. Right. So next year, I think it was in the Daily News, 
2019, they'll only have $90 million on the contract for the Mets. Mm-hmm. If you could pick up Miller, Kimbrell, resign Familia, if you could build a bullpen that could hold the lead with the starting pitching you have now, regardless of, of your bad hitting, you've got yourself a complete defensive team. Now, maybe maybe Cespedes can play first. Maybe uh. somebody can take Bruce. If you can get one legitimate hitter that is feared, because there's not one guy in the Mets lineup that is feared, and when... If and when Cespedes comes back, will he be what he was? Who knows? But if you sat tight with what you had and could buy a bullpen, then there's got to be a hitter out there somewhere you can buy. I do think that building a super pen, uh, for lack of a better term, does mask a lot of other weaknesses. Exactly. And you know, with their starters, and I thought that they had that coming in this year, to be honest with you, Ken. You, you just hit I, with Swarzak, and, and you had... You Ramos, Swarzak, right. Blevins, Familia, and they had Lugo and Gazelman being extra guys That there. sounds like the super bullpen we've been talking about that'll cover up all mistakes. Guess what? They're wrong. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. So, I, if you've traded one of the starters, I know you're not a big Wheeler fan, are you? I, I'm not. I mean, he's been good this year. He has really come on, and this year he's pitching like the Wheeler we hoped he would be. If you could trade one of those guys, a Wheeler, a Mats, if you could trade, you know, and keep Syndergaard and a Grom, trade a Wheeler, trade a Mats, and get those three guys who are going to be, who are blue chip, can't miss you know, up-and-coming stars or young players that are already on the roster for one of those guys, and then you move Lugo or Gazelman back to the starting rotation, then you're set up because you're not committed to that much money. Then you set yourself up for 2019, and that's a shot. I don't think you have to trade the entire or, or three pitchers. If you traded one guy for the right thing, the bigger question is, do we trust the three-headed monster to get a trade right? No, and right now you can't. They would not make that significant a move. They'll trade Familia and they'll trade Cabrera and they'll trade you know whoever else has value. But just uh, like last year, you trade mediocrity, you get mediocrity back. Well, that's not, not going to help. Yeah, they're not going to get much back. They may even trade Wheeler and maybe Flores. They're not going to get a ton back. One of the reasons why I would trade Wheeler is because, it, and I would only do it if you could get something back, is because to me he's the the last of those guys of the four: Degrom, Syndergaard, Mats, Wheeler that I would trust. And I, now I would have traded them years ago when he had good value. Now is as good a value as he's had since then, since before he came up. If you could get something back, a bat, maybe create some balance, so we still have the three starters, three young guys, and you could get you know an offensive player for Zach Wheeler, who I wouldn't trust moving forward. I don't know what they're going to be able to get for him. I would not trade Degrom or Syndergaard, and lesser extent Stephen Matz, because I do believe you need that. Now, what if? Now, it's, of course, it's not going to happen. What if the Yankees, who we know need another starter, they need a guy to go up against Price. They they mm-hmm. they're one arm short yeah, of they doing de- battle. At least one, right? Right. So, what if it was Glaber Torres? I've said this to Yankee fans who absolutely melt and cry and go into a fetal position. Glaber Torres and Lois Sada, and maybe a, a, a rookie. The the Yankees' price for Degrom would have to be higher than everybody else. Yes. But I don't. Think- if I were if I were Brian Cashman, I'd do that in a second. By the way, yeah, he's not going to trade Torres, but I I tend to I would agree do that with you. in a second. I would pro if I'm the Yankees, I would probably trade Torres. You know, a package with Torres being the centerpiece for Degrom because I do think that Yankees with Degrom and minus Torres are a better team 
They don't need that offense. Right. They can make right. that up You've elsewhere. got the offense. What you need is that other pitcher. I would not do that, and I know people are going to kill me for it. I would not do it for the Mets because I think, to, to, the, to the same point why I would do it if I'm the Yankees, I think a pitcher like DeGrom is invaluable. You'll never get equal value back. You could find offensive players. Now, I get that Torres is young and potentially could be a future All-Star for the next 10 years, but I, I, I know what DeGrom is right now, and I value that. Him and Syndergaard at the top of that rotation. If I'm building a team, I'd want want to build around the one-two punch that they have. I agree. I don't want them to be traded. I hope we get to hold on to them. But you've got to get some value back because the reality is, are the Mets going to go to a $230 million payroll to instantly be contenders next year like we see the top guys doing? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. To get add a few pieces, and what we always do, we're going to add a few pieces and hope for the best. And every time we hope for the best, it blows up in our face. Yeah, they're going to have to spend, and they're going to have to spend wisely. Right, we'll take a quick break. We'll take your calls next with Ken Dashow of Q104.3 in our studio. Uh, coming up next, calls with me and Ken, and your chance to win a pair of Mets tickets at some point this hour. Free Mets t-shirts for every one of you calls. 800-321-0710 is the number to call. It's Sal Licata in the Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 W. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Always fun hanging out with Ken Dashow in studio. Big, passionate Mets fan. You know him, DJ Q104.3. Let's take your calls now. Bobby is in Queens, has been waiting a while. Bobby, you want to discuss the development or lack thereof of Ahmed Rosario? Hey, Sal. Uh, by the way, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Ken Dashow. And you know what? You could go ahead and give him my T-shirt if you want. Thank I mean, you, Bobby. I'm going to take your T-shirt and run. <laughs> I got enough stuff. If my wife, she's going to she's going to divorce me. Um, but real quick, uh, see, my problem with Callaway is, is this: uh, you see Rosario, he's developing, and he goes six for thirteen or whatever he was, and he's and he looks like he's starting to hit the ball, a couple triples, this, that, the other thing, and then he decides he's going to bench him against Scherzer because. He's worried about, I guess, the confidence level, or if he goes 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, that now he's going to end up in a funk. And that's ridiculous. What about if he goes 3 for 3? Why don't we think on the positive? Then, then what does that do for his confidence? I agree 100%, Bobby. That's what I've always felt, like we said about Oswald. Don't bench him for sure, sir. Say, you're hitting the ball. Just see the ball and hit it. It's another pitcher. It's going to be tough. We're rooting for you. That's what gives somebody confidence is challenging them and not threatening them. But, hey, I don't care what you do. You're going to start. Remember the old thing about what Leo DeRocher uh, said to it was uh, Jackie Robinson. No, it was Branch. You know, Ricky said, I don't care if you go 0 for 50. You're, you're, playing, you're playing every day. And it gives everybody a chance to show that they can do it because they have confidence behind them. Once you tell a guy, I don't think you can hit Scherzer, what's in the back of his mind? If he ever has to face Max Scherzer or uh, Clayton Kershaw, gee, I can't hit this guy. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I like the way that you said it. At the time, I didn't have a big deal. Now, maybe it's because my lack of care at this point in the season. (laughs) You know, look, 10 games under, 15 games under, who cares, right? I mean, I know it's about the lack of Rosario, but I'm not as, you know, concerned on the day-to-day stuff and from the outside, okay, well, he's been okay. You don't want to put him into a funk against Scherzer, but I certainly used to um, go by your philosophy. Let him play every day. Same thing with Conforto for years against lefties. Let him play against the lefties so he learns how to hit him. If you're going to baby these guys and sit him against a guy like Scherzer, then he's never going to be able to hit a guy like Scherzer. Exactly. And another question for uh, Pat, our hitting coach. 
the, the kid still has a, a hitch in his swing that you could tie a Clydesdale to. Doesn't anybody <laughs> ever want to work on him with that? Is that when he's facing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, he's never going to get the back the bat in the zone by hitching like that? And honestly, they should not be working on things or learning at the major league level. We've seen way too much of that. And they do over and over again. And that is a big problem. Nikki in Rockville Center. Nikki's got a little combination for us, Ken. Go ahead, Nick. Ah, uh, Ken, that's unbelievable. I got tapes. This is an honor. Hey, Nick, me too. Cassette <laughs> of Springsteen Stand at Giant Stadium, summer of 85. Nice. That I could go back and pop in at any time with Carol Miller doing the NEW break-in. Every, they wouldn't let you play it up more than a half of a song at a time yep. you know, because of uh, rights and all that. And uh, that whole Billy Bruce thing, I'm a Latin kid from Rockville Center at nine years old, the River album, Winter Holiday 1980. That was it for me. I was hooked. Heard the sax solo on Out in the Street. I stayed for the next song. I stayed for the next song. My sister was playing the album. It was over from them. I'm a hardcore, hardcore tramp. I'm going to buy it for Sal so he can listen to it and play it and he can report back to us. That's exactly my thing. To me, and and, and this is why, because I had a a Mets thing and and, and, uh, all that, but I'm only going to get this one chance to ever talk to you about it. So (laughs) real quick, to me, it's always been the river first. And then you can pick between uh, Born to Run and the Darkness Light of the Town. The trilogy, that is where Springsteen and E Street Band was made. That's where the E Street Band sounds came from. Because anybody knows the Springsteen, anything prior to Born to Run, it was a different sound. Different members yep. in the band, more or less. So from Born to Run on, it started becoming it. By the river, it was solidified. I always felt until 2015, it didn't get the respect it was due. It just gets lost in the long shadows of, of Born to Run and what came, uh, you know, of darkness and what came with Born USA. In your opinion... Where does the River album stand as far as the trilogy? Well, just overall, where do you think that it stands? To me, it's number one. And I know, you know, Bonteron gets all the credit and the mass audience came with Borneo say, but that album, number one, four weeks, two million seller, it made him overseas. There is no spring. All right, so I can't answer, Nikki, and thanks for the call. Go ahead, Ken. Thanks, Nikki. Okay, so here's, here's my take. The thing about Born to Run, relating it back to sports, Born to Run, it's a perfect analogy to me. It's a, he, Born to Run is a five-tool player. You've got the biggest hit of his career. You've got the epic on it, you know, of Jungle Land. You've got everything that you need to explain who this guy is in one album. The River is magical. It's a journey. It's personal. It's intimate. It's blue collar. It does have hits on it. But there's always been that argument of would it have been a better single album than a double album? And the reality is for huge Springsteen fans, it needs to be a double album. For the casual Springsteen fan, a single album would have hit a at all so i still port born to run first and thank you Nick. you guys may be speaking about politics i have no idea it's not my <laughs> language mike and matterville let's get uh, you got anything on the mets that you want to talk about mike well i'm enjoying the conversation on the billy and the bruce and the uh the mets the grief support group here so i'm really enjoying it <laughs> thank but, you uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go in the direction of uh, billy for one second i saw him 30 years ago at the carrier dome but on a three hour and 45 minute show amazing and one of, the, one of the best shows I've seen. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing them at the Garden yet. 
Ken, do you know, does he still put on such a long show? No, he's not playing as long, but it's that same intimacy that he has with the audience of talking to him like he's a, you're, you're his friend who's just sitting in a small club hanging out and talking with him. That's the attitude that he has, that Bruce has, that Paul McCartney has. The magical people can do that in any size arena. To see Bruce do that at MetLife Stadium or at Giant Stadium and make it that intimate, it, either you can do it or not. You can't learn how to do it. That's an energy you bring on stage, and that's why these guys are at the top of their game. Yeah, I've always wanted to see Billy at Nassau Coliseum. Haven't done that yet. Barclays in uh, the Garden. Next time there, maybe uh, I'll check that out. Mike did want to, and thank you for the call, Mike, did want to talk about uh, the Mets saying that the DH would benefit them. We haven't talked <laughs> about that. Well, yes, when every player you have is hurt, I yeah. think if, if you could have eight DHs, that would work well. But it is a an unfair advantage for the American League, or a disadvantage to be a National League team where you don't have that luxury, Ken, specifically with the Mets, whether it's last year with trying to figure out a way to get you know the four outfielders at the time, Granderson, Bruce, Conforto, Cespedes, or now instead of talking about Cespedes at first base, you could easily just put him at DH for 90% of the games, keep him fresh, keep him healthy. That would be a big advantage or a big um, you know, bonus to have. There's no point, and I'm a purist, I'm assuming you are too, National League fan for a long time. Absolutely. But it's, it's it, the way the game's evolved, it just doesn't make any sense not to have the DH be universal. The thing is, Cespedes is the greatest left fielder we've ever had on this team, bar none. When he's healthy, nobody's got an arm like that. He's got a gun. He can hit any spot, anywhere. He's a great fielder. Just doing 900-pound leg squats doesn't seem to be conducive to being a flexible baseball player. That was the dumbest workout idea I've ever heard for a guy who's not, for anybody, let alone somebody you know who's, who's not a kid anymore. So the question is, if he comes back, if you could get him back on the field against the Yankees right before the deadline, if he can still hit, if you could showcase him, isn't it possible that there's an American League team that would take him as a DH and give you a couple of rookies in return for that? They're going to have to dump the money. I mean, it's going to be a lot of money going that way. Uh, and Cespedes has the no-trade clause. So I, I, I'm not opposed to trying to move him if it's at all possible. I just don't know how realistic that is at this point. Um, but yeah, I do think he's better suited as a DH. Are you adamant against the DH as a National League fan? I still think it takes away from the game. Everybody says nobody wants to see the pitcher just strike out on three pitches. Well, when you look at Syndergaard and DeGrom, do you ever assume they're going to strike out on three pitches? You can have pitchers who can hit if you work on it. It's like everything else. I always, we, My friends and I always joke, well, buy the Mets. Here's rule one when you start, whether you're in Coney Island or low A ball. Everybody's got to bunt five times and five perfect bunts. Every player has to be able to hit a ground ball against the shift. You have to be able to hit five ground balls in a row against the shift. All you have to do, a ground ball, if you're a lefty, hit a ground ball to third. If you're a righty, hit a ground ball between first and second. If you can't do that, and you're only going to swing for the fence with every swing, where they say strikeouts are unbelievable, it's yeah, right. higher than any other level. It's not the game. It's the magic of the game. How many games have we lost with ducks on the pond where all you have to do is hit a ground ball to the other side of the field, and we win a game, and you see guys roaring back to hit for the seats. I just don't get that brand of baseball. Yeah, because it's all about walks and launch angles right now. Norman in Brooklyn. Norman, I think we uh, agree with your philosophy. What is it with the Mets pitchers? Uh, you know what? In one way, it's a very good year for the Mets, um, and that's where um, – Wheeler and Mats are really moving into the twilight zone where they're pitching great. 
And the same thing is you can't, if a guy has a bump in the road, right away I hear everybody saying dumb familiar, but he's really in the groove now. And it could happen with anybody. You know, sometimes um, you, you have an unlucky year because Bruce got hurt and Cespedes got hurt and there's nothing you could do about it. Um, one guy who looks dazed and confused, just like that song by uh, <laughs> Led Zeppelin. Um, it, yeah, Conforto. Um, I don't think he even knows what's going on at the moment. And he Wait, really he just came help. back way too soon. I thought we his hope injury, that that's it. You hope that it's I'm, a shoulder. And thanks for the call, Norman. Always good well, to hear you from you. I, I, I'm telling you that. Hang on one second. Conforto is still one of the great pure hitters in baseball. When you've had an injury that serious, it's not just rehabbing the muscle. It's rehabbing your mind. I know. Listen, here's a personal thing. I got hit by a car a couple of years ago. I did a great rehab. Took me four months and started playing golf the next year. And I couldn't. I couldn't hit. I can play golf fairly well, but I couldn't get my weight shifted on my front foot, even though it was fine because mentally I was afraid to put all my weight on my left leg because for months I only walked like on one leg. And if Conforto had taken another three, four months, if he came back now, maybe he comes back at the end of the year, he wouldn't have had this lack of confidence. He wouldn't be like reaching for pitches. You Rather than rushing guys back, especially somebody from a serious injury, you give them extra time, more time, and especially because we didn't need them. Go ahead, Norman, real quick. Yeah, well, well, okay, you know what, Ken, I agree with you 100%, and Daniel Murphy's going through that now with his knee. But what I wanted to say, Sal, if I had a time machine, I'm from the same era as Ken. I would have loved to take you back in my time machine to the Alan Freed Rock shows. <laughs> and, when Bo, and when Bo Diddley came on, man, you'd be blown away. You, it was just an amazing stomping sound that man had. Same thing with Jerry Lee Lewis. It, it was such a great era. Oh, sorry, Norman. I was a little quick uh, with the trigger there. Thank you for the call. It's always good to hear from you. Real quick, Ken, before we let you go, we got a break and then uh, say goodbye here. Personal one, Roy Orbison. You think he's underrated uh, or underappreciated? He, he's not underrated by any musician. Everybody, Every musician will tell you that voice, the purity, what he did is really important. But he doesn't seem to have that mainstream success that others have had, right? Well, he he did and he and he didn't because you know in in that era like what Norm was talking about, right. I call it the foundation of rock and roll. You know, and Elvis and Little Richard and, and Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and yeah, Roy Orbison didn't get the Chuck Berry Little Richard you know work that he did. But remember, the Beatles opened for Roy Orbison. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was he was top of the bill when the Beatles were starting. Wow, out. Little Richard. The reason they were so close with Billy Preston is that you know Billy. Preston played with Little Richard, and he would slip the Beatles hamburgers from the star's dressing room so they would eat a little something because <laughs> he liked them. Everybody starts somewhere. Part uh, of the reason Roy Orbison was in the Traveling Wilburys is because George Harrison was blown away the first time he saw him. He never forgot what a beautiful voice he had and asked Roy to join Bob Dylan and Tom Petty and be the Traveling Wilburys. Wow, fascinating. He was always a favorite of my father, so I grew up listening to some of his stuff, so I know him maybe more than others, and I feel like he wasn't as mainstream, so good to get an expert's take. 
Good to have you in studio, Ken. This has been great. Sal, I love doing this so much because, you know, I get to talk rock and roll every afternoon. I love talking about it with you guys. But talking and venting about the Mets and what we would all do is just a joy. I love listening to OR. I love listening to you and Pete on my way home after I get off the air. We appreciate that. Hopefully we do it again soon. And hopefully next year. Well, we will do it again soon. But hopefully next year it's a positive year once again for this team. And once again, as it is year in, year out since I was a small child, Let's go Mets. That's right. Ken Dash out Q104.3. Always a pleasure. Thanks for your time, Ken. We'll take a quick break. Have your calls on the other side. We'll do some Jets at 8 o'clock as well. And we'll hear uh, play back that Wally Backman interview that I thought was a terrific interview. We'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour. Also have a pair of Mets tickets to give away as well. It's the Sports Zone. Sal Akata filling in for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR.